we live in this age where being an entrepreneur is so attractive and so sexy that people just get caught up with, you don't have to be a Robert Kiyosaki right out of the gates. If you've got something that you want to do, if it's real estate investing, get out there and just do one. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Austin Miller, how you doing, Austin? Joe, I'm great, man. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Austin. He is a creative financing real estate investor. In fact, there's proof in the pudding. He has built a real estate portfolio of 16 units worth over $1.2 million with little of his own money. He's written a book and it's called Free Houses and he's based in Springfield, Missouri. With that being said, Austin, will you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely, Joe. So background, got started investing in real estate, single family homes around 2010 and just kind of have steadily done one or two flips and buy and holds ever since then and haven't looked back. So during my day job, I build houses. So I do have a construction company that allows me some time freedom to still be in the real estate industry and also have time to have other ways to create income. So currently our focus is still the bread and butter single family homes. We buy, rehab, put a tenant in there and continue down the line. So that's what we're still doing today. You wrote a book called Free Houses. I think there's some people listening who want some free houses. How do we get some free houses? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you the premise of the book is that nothing in life is truly free, but a lot of people will label things as free, like, hey, I want to buy you a free lunch. But there's still a cost to you. You have to get in your car. You have to drive there. And most importantly, you have to spend about an hour of your time. Well, time is the most precious commodity that we have, and we can't get it back. So for a lot of people, they wouldn't exchange that one hour of time for not having to pay for food. But how I bring that into the analogy of real estate is whenever I tell people I'm a real estate investor, they almost always respond with the same phrase, man, I'd love to flip houses. I just don't have the money. Almost every person uses money as his or her reason for not investing in real estate. But the premise of the book and what I have shown through my experience and through each chapter using different strategies is that real estate is not free. Investing isn't free, but if you're willing to spend some time and effort, you don't have to spend any of your own money. So in today's world, if we're going to label something as free, if it's achieved without exchanging your own money, and if that's the case, man, I've acquired a whole portfolio of free houses. All right. Let's talk about one of them. How do we acquire a free single family home knowing that monetarily it's free, but we're going to need to put some time towards it? Sure. The first year that I got started in this, I was thinking, man, I'm going to do this. I don't know how. I don't have money. I certainly can't go put 20% down because that's what all the banks were asking of me. Joe, if you had a house that you're like, man, this is a good investment. It's $100,000. And you went to your banker and said, hey, I want to buy this house. Will you lend me some money? Typically, they're going to want what from you? They're going to want some sort of collateral. 
They're going to want some collateral, right? They're going to want some skin in the game. And a lot of times it's 20%. So many times it is. So what I quickly found out was, how do I come up with that 20%? So one of the things that I started realizing was people selling houses at a discounted price. So I called my banker and said, hey, what if I can get a house that's worth $100,000 and I can get it for fifty? dollars The conversation was completely different. It was like, man, he's willing to work through some things. He's willing to take that equity that I had, $50,000 in equity. And equity, for those who don't know, defined as the difference between the value of an asset and the amount owed against it. But the conversation was completely different. He was allowing me to take some of that equity as essentially a down payment. So what I got to learning was that if I can prove or if I can show that I have 20% equity, a lot of times that could negate some or all of my down payment. So what I started on the quest for was to try to find funding so that I could purchase these deals and rehab these deals. And each chapter in the book is about how to do that and different methods that I did that. So would you like me to go through maybe even just one of those? Yeah, sure. So just so we're on the same page, basically in order to buy the free house, we need to find the property that has a equity built into it that you can then use as collateral with the lender. And then they take that equity as collateral and then boom, you have no money into the deal. Absolutely. Okay. And that collateral being 20%, really a lot of it falls into that 80-20 rule. 80% loan to value. So if it's a $100,000 property, is what it, the value of it was, I would want to be in it for no more than 80,000. So I have that 20% equity. And really, I think that most lenders, whether it be on the federal guidelines or for the guidelines from each small bank, just whatever their internal guidelines are, they want to see that 20%. And that's kind of the bare minimum of what you need to have. And I imagine it's going to be a local lender that's doing this with you? Yeah. I'm always a fan of local lenders. Nothing against big banks, but whenever you're talking to a local lender, you seem to really be able to talk to the decision maker. And when they're smaller banks, they have more control over what they're going to allow with their investors. As an investor, you're going to have more negotiation power and you can kind of talk to them about what they would and would not be willing to do. So people are always like, man, how do I know if it's a, a small local bank? And I'm like, well, it's usually called the first local bank of whatever town you're in you know, mm -hmm. or the community bank of wherever mm -hmm. you live. So the name a lot of times gives it away or state bank of Missouri or whatever it may be. So sure. Um, and just making a few phone calls and talking to portfolio lenders, you can find out pretty quick what their guidelines are and whether they're an investor friendly bank. And a portfolio lender is a lender who keeps the loan in their portfolio. Therefore they don't have to answer to underwriting guidelines that Bank of America, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, banks like that have to answer to. Sure. They're not selling that loan off to secondary market or another bank. They're keeping that loan in-house in their bank most of the time. So for your first deal where you did this, was it with a local lender? So I got my long-term loan with a local lender, yes. My short-term loan, I got from a hard money lender. Okay. Can you tell us the numbers and who did what? Yep, absolutely. So my first deal actually has nice round numbers, which makes it easy for everyone. And it was 
kind of a home run deal, which I always recommend for your first one. <laughs> um, you know, you want to give yourself plenty of room on the first one. So I knew that I needed to find someone that could help me with a short-term loan before I got a long-term loan from the bank. So I started researching on hard money lenders. And the premise on a hard money lender is they'll give you a short-term loan to purchase a property and fix it up, a real estate investment. And over that time period, you're going to pay high interest to them. And usually they'll have some type of fixed fee for just doing the loan. And then once the purchase and the rehab is completed, at that point in time, you can go to an actual lending institution and get a long-term loan. And a lot of times that's a community bank. That's who I always deal with. And at that point in time, get that loan, cash out on the property and pay off the hard money lender. So when people ask me, hey, how do I find a hard money lender? Well, you can go on Google right now and you could type in hard money lender in your area or just hard money lender, real estate, hard money loans, and they're all across the country. Now, same thing with hard money lenders. It's probably better to find someone kind of in your area because the first property I did, the hard money lender was in my town and I actually met him, small company, guy just had a lot of capital and he liked giving out real estate loans for a short term and with a high interest on the money and then a fee. And so that was just a way that he continued to make a living. So he wanted to see the house. And a lot of times the hard money lenders are more concerned with the property and whether or not it's a good deal than it is with the person who's asking for the money. They're going to want to know an application filled out and all that, and maybe even meet you. Maybe it's a phone call. I don't know, but they're always very concerned with the property more so than the person. So the terms on my deal the house was listed for about in the upper 50s. I want to say it was like 56, 58. And I ended up offering 44. We got it under contract. And I knew... That you got it under contract with the first offer that you made at 44? Honestly, I can't remember. It may have offered 42 and they came back at 44 and I accepted. Okay. That sounds right. But our purchase price was 44. And I knew just from running comps and studying the area and help from a real estate agent that it would probably appraise close to a hundred thousand you know, that 90 to a hundred thousand as is no after repair value after repair. Okay. After repair. So using the 80, 20 rule, I thought, man, I've got up to $80,000 all in that I need to be at to stay at the 80% loan to value to have that 20% equity. So I put $20,000 into it over the course of three months. And then my fee on the back end to do the whole loan with the hard money lender was $2,000. My all in loan after I had closing costs and things was $66,500. And once we were done with the purchase and the rehab, then called in an appraisal and an appraisal right at $100,000. So I was well below that 80-20 rule. And one of the things that people kind of get hung up on specifically with hard money lenders is the high interest because you're going to pay for those months that you're rehabbing the property anywhere 14 to 18%, which some people will see that and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that you would pay high interest like that. But if you're only paying it for three months, you make three payments of high interest. And at the end of it, you get a house that cash flows 250 bucks a month that has all kinds of equity. To me, that is worth it. Mm -hmm. So many people will say, man, I wouldn't pay that. But at the end of the day, that was the vehicle that allowed me to purchase this house. So the only out-of-pocket expense I had were those three monthly payments on the high interest, which the first month wasn't a very high payment because I hadn't drawn that much out on the construction. I think all in all, it was like $1,800 between the three payments that it cost me out-of-pocket. And then I had a house 
and that was cash flowing on a long-term loan and a tenant in there and cash flowing about $250 a month. So it was a very smooth transaction and it went off very well for me on my first one. Once you get the appraisal back at $100,000 and you're all in at 67, then you go to your community bank and then you get the long-term loan, right? Yes, that is absolutely correct. What were the terms of that loan? 20-year loan that is a five-year fixed. So I should back up at the time. That's my first deal. So I just kept it in my own name and I actually got a 20 year fixed at that point. But as I grew in my business, now everything is in an LLC and I believe you can have a certain amount of properties in your own name, four or five or something before you can no longer do that and get a long-term fixed rate loan. But as I got a real estate attorney and said, look, man, you should really be protecting yourself and have these in an LLC. So moved everything over to an LLC and my typical loan right now for the past several years is a 20-year amortization and it's five-year fixed, but a maximum of two points increase at five years. And what bank do you use? For most of my transactions here in Missouri, I use a bank called the Bank of Missouri. So that was your first property. And now to recap, you found a deal that had a lot of equity in it. You have a construction background, which was helpful in renovating it, getting it up to the appraisal value of $100,000. You're all in at 67000 You then cash out the hard money lender with a long-term loan that you have with the community bank. And now you've put some sweat equity into the deal, but you have not put any of your own money into the deal. And you have a property that has a long-term loan and you move on to the next one. Is that right? That is absolutely right. Cool. So right now you have 16 units. Just bought 17 last Just week. bought. Congratulations on the 17th. So you have 17 units and in your bio it says they're worth uh, over 1.2 million. How much of your money do you have in those properties tied up that came out of your pocket? Out of my pocket? Oh man, over the years, if any given year I put over $2,000 into the company, then that would just shock me. One time we did end up making a down payment on a house that was, I think we bought it for like $15,000. So that was the big down payment, 20%, you know, it's (laughs) $3,000. So (laughs) uh, that's 20%. So that was the biggest time I've ever put any of my own money into it. So at most... You have $20,000 out of pocket tied up in this $1.2 million portfolio that you've built. Is that accurate? That's on the high end. I can tell you that. That's on the high end. Okay. At most, 20K is on the high end. So you have a portfolio of 1.2, although I'm I'm sure it's a little bit more now that you got the 17th property. How much was the 17th property? What was the purchase? 15. 15,000? Okay. 15,000. So that's incredible. And the examples you've mentioned so far, the last one was 15K. The first one was 144, but then worth 100. So I imagine there's one that's a little bit more than the others, especially like the last one that you bought for 15K. So what property is valued the highest? We've got a fourplex and 17 units. One of them is a fourplex. So mm-hmm. that one is, I think it's somewhere around $180,000, $200,000 appraisal value. Tell us about that one, will you? So that one was one that we found through some direct mail. 
and it was a seller that kind of just needed out. Property had been cash flowing and rented, fully occupied, kind of close to campus, nice two-story brick columns out front, really cool property. Which campus? If you're familiar with Springfield, Missouri, we've got Drury, OTC, Evangel, Missouri State. Missouri State is the biggest one, and it was, okay. it was pretty close to that one. It's, I don't know, probably six blocks or so. But that was one that I was able to get at a deep enough discount from him to where we went in and just at, through purchasing in cash and then doing some minor things around the property, I think we spent about $5,000. And that was all money that we had built up from cash flow, so not out of pocket. But I partnered on this one because the acquisition cost was substantially it's one thing to come up with ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars for a purchase price. But whenever you're talking about a six figure purchase price, then it was a little out of my comfort zone then. So I brought on a partner, said, Hey, if you bring the cash, I've got the deal, we'll partner fifty fifty on this and start an LLC. So again, five thousand dollars into it just to really do some things like tree trimming, painting, a little bit of landscaping, cleaning it up. And man, it just gave it a lot of curb appeal and made it look like a different place that we then bought in cash, went back and it had that appraised at almost $200,000. And we were able to pull all of our money back out and we cash flow right at $200 per the units. What was the purchase price? Purchase price on that one was 140. And we put 5,000 into it and then it appraised for almost 200,000. That's great. Yeah, that was a good one. The 140 that your partner brought, you said the 5000 on top of that was from cash flow from the operations. Why not bring 145 to the deal and then just have it all done up front and then move on? That was a negotiation on his side. Like, I'll bring the cash, but I want you, since you've done a lot of rehabs and stuff, I want you to... Put a little skin in the game too. You can't come up with 140, but what can you come up with? So I said, well, take care of giving it a facelift. Okay. So once you closed on it, he received 50% of his money and then your 50% was invested back into the deal? No, he received all his money back and he received 50% equity in the Right, right. But then you said the 5K came from cash flow after it closed. So Yes, I can get what you're saying. Yes. So he got all his money back from the transaction, but then once it closed afterwards, he got his 50% cash flow and then your 50% was invested back in to the property until the CapEx stuff was done. Correct. Oh, cool. All right. The structure, is that just a joint venture structure? Yeah, it's just a, a partnership, LLC, very basic that was drafted up by a real estate attorney. So the key here in all of your deals, it sounds like, well, there's multiple keys. One is having an eye for properties that are under market value. But then the second is being able to deliver on the execution of bringing that value back up through sweat equity and also through overseeing the project. Would you say those are the two things that are critical to this? And if so, is there anything else that is critical to be able to buy these properties for little or no money out of pocket? Well, I would say the oversight, a lot of people, I get a connotation of, yeah, it's easy for you to say because you're in construction and I have no idea how much that stuff costs and I wouldn't know how to do rehab. But my background was commercial construction. And when I got into flipping houses, I didn't know 
cost. It was kind of like a different world for me. And so the first couple I hired out completely, I just got some good contractors that were referrals from other investors and they were able to give me bids within X amount of days during my contingency period, my due diligence period. And that way I knew that my numbers were correct before going forward. So I would say that that is definitely something that comes with time is learning about rehab costs and the construction industry, but it's definitely not something that'll hold you back. And I think that the biggest thing is just being able to be in the industry and the asset of bringing a deal forward or finding a deal, right? If they were everywhere, then I wouldn't have the ability to go to someone and say, hey, you want to partner with me on this? This is a great deal. Mm-hmm. I found this. That value is just me being able to produce those deals. And that can be done by anyone that is willing to get into finding real estate properties that are distressed, foreclosed, tax sales, auctions, direct marketing, other wholesalers. The list is endless on where to find deals. Right now, because the market is up, you have to work a little harder. But again, they're, they're still out there. You got 17 units and the value is over 1.2 million. How much do they cash flow a month in total? Our bare minimum per property is $200 per door. And some do a little bit better than that, but usually, obviously, it depends on move outs and whatnot, but around $3,500. Got it. So $3,500 is for all of them. And then on the four unit, you've got 50% ownership. Do you have any partners in any of the other deals, equity partners? Yes. On most of them, I'm with one person. Okay. Uh, Usually when you get into finding funding sources and private money, a lot of people say you can find private money lenders all over the place. But what I found is most investors will do one or two deals with private money lenders and then eventually they'll kind of fall in step with somebody and partner Mm -hmm. with that person continuously. And that's kind of what happened to me. Okay. So you're personally cash flowing around seventeen, eighteen hundred bucks and you only have at most, you said twenty K in these deals. That's a really good return. Yeah, I think so. And a lot of people will be tempted to spend that on using this income to live or whatnot. But for me, it's putting it back in the business because you never know when you're going to have a, a tough move out or when you need to purchase a property. That, and right now, one of the, the strategies I'm considering is just paying down existing loans at an aggressive rate instead of just paying them on the 20-year notes. Mm-hmm. This is really interesting. And I'm glad that you talked about your approach from start to finish. And I was just doing the math, you 1700 a month times that by 12, that's 20,400 bucks. So basically the all in at most that you mentioned is 20K and you're making approximately 20K a year on these investments. So it's a really good return. Yeah. Real estate has been good to me in the fact that there's a million excuses for not getting into it. But if you just really put your head down and get into it, the sky's the limit. And I imagine the windfall of cash will be when these properties appreciate. Let's hope they do. Fingers crossed. I know you're clearly not banking on it because you said you have a minimum cash flow requirement. So you're not banking on appreciation. But if and when it happens, then you can start getting chunks of change through cash out refinances or if you're paying them off some other creative methods to then really scale faster once they start seasoning a bit. Absolutely. 
started buying properties before I had kids. So hopefully by the time they're in college, if I really need to, I can just sell one and pay for their <laughs> pay mm-hmm. for their uh, tuition. How old are they? I've got a four-year-old boy and a one-year-old girl. You might need to sell a couple of them by the time <laughs> they get to college. That's Who knows what college tuition will be by then? Well, well, yeah. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever would easily be just to get out there and do one and be a doer. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book. There's not a lot of fluff in the book, but we live in this age where being an entrepreneur is so attractive and so sexy that people just get caught up with, you don't have to be a Robert Kiyosaki right out of the gates. If you've got something that you want to do, if it's real estate investing, get out there and just do one. How much money can you lose on one small rental house? So I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I consider myself a hardworking small business owner and a real estate investor. So get out there and just do one. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Oh, I love the lightning round. All right. Well, then you're going to love it because you're going to participate in it. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at areiusa.com. That's areiusa.com. Okay, best ever book you've read? Real Estate Investing, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Personal, Easily the Bible. What's a mistake you've made on a deal? Letting my emotion get involved and trying to force the numbers to make the deal work. What's the best ever deal you've done? Best deal I've ever done, I said I sold a property twice because I bought a house on seven acres. Once I bought it, I fixed the house up, and then I also split the acreage in half. So I sold the acreage, and then I sold the house, and I made money twice. Best ever way you like to give back? Teaching and volunteering in local ministries and local community advisory boards. Lastly, what's some advice you have for finding undermarket deals? Right now... One of the best ways I have found them recently is auctions. It seems like, for whatever reason in our market, people are not going to auctions right now. And I've never had really bought them before an auction. But what I'm seeing, I've gone to two and bought one last week, is that for whatever reason, it's a really good place to pick up deals right now. And with you not putting the cash up, how do you structure that with your investor? Because cash is needed to do that. Well, it's 10% down. And on this one, paid 10% down out of pocket, out of the real estate investing cash flow funds. And then whenever we cash back out in the long term, we settle up then. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? You can email me at austin at hickoryhomebuyers.com. Well, this has been a wonderful episode, especially for best ever listeners who are looking to get started or they're just looking to identify a model 
to help them scale with little money out of pocket. You've got properties where you've partnered with individuals. You've got your own properties in total 17 units worth over a million bucks. You've put in at most $20,000 and you're making approximately $20,000 a year from the rentals. And you do that by finding properties that have equity built into them. They need some leaven. You put in that leaven and then you find a long-term lender. You have a community bank that you use and then you cash flow and hold on to it. So thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate you sharing your business model and how you do this. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Joe, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at AREIUSA.com. That's AREIUSA.com.